Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We have the ability and at our disposal tools to find terrorists in I have family that are from other countries and also working on getting schools. I They were interviewing um, representative of Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna. Hey guys, so I'm super excited for today's podcast interview. It's gonna be with Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna. She's in the 13th district of Florida. Now I know that my podcast is mainly about business, motivational, sales, finance, all these different things, but public office, politics, government is extremely important, especially for every one of you that you know are here in the United States. And I know most of the times when you hear an interview, you typically are, it's gonna be very polarizing, very far right, far left. It's going to be very agenda-based. I don't want this interview to be like this. I don't care whether you're a Democrat, Republican, or Independent. One, any single one of you can be successful. But two, I want to make this interview very interesting and intriguing to really find out, one, what is it like being in the House of Congress here in the United States? What does it take to get a bill passed? What does it take to get elected? What are the challenges that they face and they see from their perspective? Obviously, we see everything on social media. We see all the chaos, all the tweets, all the crazy interviews. I want this to be insightful and informing no matter what political party that you're in. And I hope it's uh, great information and it's unique and interesting and you get a ton of value of it. So hope you guys enjoy. So hey guys, welcome back to the Grant Mitt podcast. I have Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna out of Florida. Welcome to the podcast and excited to have you. <laughs> Very happy to be on. So tell us um, a little bit about your background. Like what, what made you get into politics just in the first place? So um, I'm a military veteran. I was in the Air Force for a number okay. of years and I was initially supposed to go to medical school. So joined the military, uh, really paid my way through college. And then during my gap year when I was taking the MCAT and then also working on getting into medical schools, I started volunteering with an organization that was dealing with uh, counter-human trafficking specifically with child sex trafficking. And so at that point, I realized that maybe the news and the media wasn't really being honest about what was happening at our southern border. Um, I looked at it as a lens and perspective of, look, I have family that are from other countries. And so for me, you know, here I am, American born, but I'm Hispanic, I'm Mexican. And then also to, you know, my grandparents were immigrants. So I'm not looking at this like from a xenophobic or racist or a sexist perspective here, but I do agree with border security. And ultimately, I ended up turning down a medical school program that I got into, ended up joining a grassroots uh, conservative activism organization, and then realized that I couldn't just commentate on these issues, that if I really wanted to make a difference, I had to run for office. So I did what any good millennial would do. I made a video, talked about it, but then I also figured out the process of running and ended up losing my first election, but winning the second. And now... I'm serving in the 118th office. That's amazing. Well, congrats on getting in. Well, let me ask you this. What is it like? Okay, so, so obviously you had a passion for, um, for policy and making change in the United States. 
but what did it take to actually get elected? Because it's easy to say, well, I got elected, and it's amazing, and it's inspiring, and, and you know that's awesome, but what did it actually look like behind the scenes? Like, how hard is yeah. it? Yeah, so it's incredibly hard. You know, I'm not someone that comes from a significant amount of you know family wealth, and I wasn't independently wealthy going into this position, nor am I still independently wealthy. So, yeah. you know, I'm not insider trading here. Yeah. Uh, you can, you know, you're not, you're not copying <laughs> Pelosi's trades? I'm not, I'm not doing <laughs> stock trading. But what I can tell you is that, you know, in my second race, because I would not won the first one, but I put a heavy emphasis on grassroots activism on the second race. I actually personally, with my team of volunteers and my staff, I knocked 50,000 doors and I made over 90,000 phone calls in a very short window of time. So I was door knocking six hours a day. People think that, you know, when you run for office, people don't have to do that. You absolutely do because you have to share your message with the people that are going to vote for you. Um, as a result of that, I withstood a barrage of negative attack ads. I was outspent $12 million to one and I still won, you know, I outperformed the ballot. And so it was that, it was fundraising. Um, as I said earlier, I'm a veteran. So you put your family and your reputation online. You know, if they can't find anything, they'll, they'll just make it up. And they did with me. But ultimately, once I got elected, um, I then took on the mainstream media. So the Washington Post tried to do this awful attack ad on me and really try to, you know, assassinate my character. And they found out I was telling the truth. Time Magazine investigated, and they named me one of the top 100 most influential uh, people in the world. I love that. So when you were not 50,000 doors, that's a lot of doors. It's a lot of walking. <laughs> that's, that's, that's respectful. So what was what was your opponent? What was their strategy when they were running against you? Uh, just to try to attack. Uh, you see in politics, and I think it's probably been like this since we really established this great country, but, you know, lies sometimes unfortunately will travel faster than the truth so they would attack um i don't necessarily think they placed an emphasis on grassroots activism but because i knew how to do it and because i really believe in this message and saving this country i really did say well i'm just going to go directly to the voters uh, but it's not just that it's understanding that you as a candidate are essentially a brand as well so what message are you going to share that's going to resonate with people so instead of focusing on issues for example um you know, I had my opponent, for example, talking about the fact that I was this extremist, right? He kept calling me an extremist. Well, while he was doing that, I was talking about the fact that I would go to a grocery store, Publix, and the eggs were expensive, so I got chickens. And I know that might sound silly, but those are the issues that people care about is inflation. But you um, this, understood. Yes. And so I was talking about that. So when when they're attacking you, okay, so and, and also not only this, what was the difference between the first time you ran, which was what, 2020? Yeah, in 2020. And, and the second time was 2022. Mm -hmm. What do you think was swung that for you to end up, you know, obviously winning? <laughs> so was much. Was it just people, you know, obviously COVID, everyone moving to Florida. Was it your name was now out there? Or was it the people that experienced what it was like with the opposite? What do you think it was? So it was multifaceted. The first time that I ran, I was not the chosen pick of the Republican Party. In fact, mm -hmm. the party was working against me and I still beat their candidate. Um, Representative Gates actually came in to support me, but I still beat their candidate. And then I was a no-name candidate and they didn't help me in the general election. So I actually brought the close, I was supposed to lose the race by 15 points and I lost by a little over five. And so that was being completely off television, almost having no money. So they realized at that point that Florida's 13th district could swing basically and flip. And then so the following year, I became the nominee pick. I had the name ID, I had the funding, I knew what exactly to do. And actually, I think that this is kind of interesting because I took this lesson from the art of war and that you never want to let your enemies know what you're up to. So I actually started door knocking and what I had anticipated the new district to look like about 10 months prior. 
and I just quietly was working the entire time and then ultimately brought home that win in the primary and the general. Persistence pays. A hundred percent. So walk me through, okay, so you're on the oversights committee. Investigations, yes. Investigations, yeah. But what is that like? What do you usually see? And what are some of the things that, that are coming across right now? I've seen some very scary stuff being on oversight. So when I first got elected, you know, your committee assignments kind of determine what legislation and also what you're going to be doing on behalf of the U.S. government. So my job in particular is not only am I an investigator, but also I'm a messenger in presenting that evidence to the American people. And so what we've been able to see, whether or not it's, a, it's in a skiff or dealing yeah. with different government agencies, has been alarming because you realize, look, politicians don't have the best reputation. Mm -hmm. um, again, I was joking around earlier about insider trading, but it's a thing. Yeah. And then you see how powerful these people are and at what level they will work with different government agencies, whether it's the CIA, whether it's the FBI, whether it's DHS or the NSA, um, and the way that they will politically target opponents and or violate your civil liberties. And so seeing that firsthand is scary because you realize that there's this illusion that we live in a free country. And if you don't have good people that run for office, if you don't have good people that put their name on the line, then these bad people will continue to do these things. And so I've been very vocal about upholding civil liberties. And also, you know, I put my money where my mouth is. And I think that's why you're saying I'm one of the top five conservative members of Congress. Yeah, absolutely. So what was it like? Okay, so obviously you did all that work work to get elected mm -hmm. super challenging you overcome that you get elected what did you first envision being in congress like like what did you think it was going to be like but then when you get in there there's always that moment i have friends that play like for example in the nfl and they have this moment where they just get hit by a guy that's so like i didn't time. think it was going to be like They're this like, <laughs> yeah. Shit, this is this is the real deal right so what was it like was it different what was it unique? So how fast did you learn when i first got elected they they send you to candidate school basically almost immediately after you win and so i get up here it's funny i got this um i got this like box i felt like i was going yeah. to hogwarts right it's from the then <laughs> former speaker kevin mccarthy so open said, welcome to the 118th Congress. Here's the amount of people that have actually come through these halls. It's not a large number, right? So you get up here and then you immediately vote on leadership. But there's a lot that they don't tell you. And there's a lot that they just hope that you kind of shut up in color. And so as you saw in the beginning of this 118th Congress that we couldn't determine a speaker, right? It wasn't just that. We were fighting to really bring back power to the representatives and thus the American people. And so we do something called rules negotiations that really establishes the precedence on how Congress will function. And I have this book right here. So this is Jefferson's manual. It was written by Thomas Jefferson. And it also has the rules changes that we set up for the way that the Congress will function. And so we did things to ensure that as representatives, we could bring legislation to the floor, whereas in previous uh, previous Congresses, it was really only a small group of people on the Rules Committee that held all the power, and we couldn't exactly represent the way that we should. So we held it up for a little bit. I think the American people appreciated it. You know, there was some of those memes from bad lip reading, yeah. and you guys all saw it kind of unfold. But once you kind of figure out how to do the parliamentary procedures and then really how to speak and communicate with your constituents, it's a learning curve. Um, a lot of people don't read that book. I've read it twice. So if you're going to play the game, you have to know the rules. You have to know the rules. And what is it like getting an actual bill passed? What is it like proposing something? Is it, if you're a new congressman or woman, is it almost impossible to get something passed? Is there so much leverage against you? Is it 
you know, what, how does that inner workings look like? I think it's, um, first of all, relationships building. So can you articulate and share your message to get other people to agree with you? And then also to, does it make sense? So we have the National Defense Authorization Act that almost every con or that every Congress does. I was able to get some amendments on that. Uh, an amendment would be, you know, your suggestion to a bill that's already written and then you actually vote on it in the, on the floor. So I've had that stuff passed. Um, I also censured Adam Schiff. So Adam Schiff was head of the intelligence commu uh, community a couple of years ago and he was caught to basically use his position to lie to the American people and so as a first-time member of Congress I was told that it couldn't be done I knew that I could do it because I had cleared it with my legal counsel and also in the House rules um, and that was a successful censure so I think it depends on how motivated you are you will see people that come up here and they do nothing they go to the White House you know Christmas parties and the Easter roll uh, but they're not actually there for their their constituents I'm a little bit different I don't want to do this forever but while I'm here I'm gonna make my time count make it happen so what what do you think makes a I don't even say just only um, someone that's a congressman or a senator or a congresswoman or president, what do you think makes a successful person in DC or much less anywhere? I mean, you knock 50,000 doors, you made it happen, you have the odds stacked against you. What, what does it take to be successful and what are those traits that you've seen from other people that have been really successful up here? I think, um, can you articulate your message? I think confidence carries over a certain level of you know, intrigue from voters, especially like, can you, and are you sure of who you are? Because you're going to get up here and it is a pressure cooker. You know, you're going to be contacted by special interest groups, but if you're an idealist, that's not going to matter. If you run and you're honest about your messaging, then it's not going to be hard for you to take some of those hard votes as so many people. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply would say and I think the other aspect is can you get people to believe in your message and are you going to follow through on it you know I'm a different candidate than most because I was able to leverage my social media following into being able to donate support the message and then I followed through on that and so those people will forever continue to donate towards my cause because I was honest and I followed through on it yeah. but a lot of people are beholden to special interests and so I think that that's an issue that exists on both sides because if you're fighting for a special interest if you're fighting for a corporation like that then you're essentially losing touch with what you're supposed to do for the American people and so if I was to wave a magic wand some people would say well term limits on Congress. I don't think it's necessarily term limits, even though I agree with them. I think it would be limiting the amount of control that some of these special interests have. Is that why people kind of come up here and then just disappear and don't say anything? Because I can think of senators and congressmen that got elected and you just don't hear from them anymore. And then you see them voting in a certain way, right, left, up, then whatever it is. Is it because they're controlled? Is it because they're like, I got my seat? Like what causes some of these representatives to just basically hold their seat for decades, have no really any anybody coming against them, anything like that. Because you just see that, you know, you see these people and Pelosi was in forever. <laughs> yeah, 100%. It's a little bit of both. And it's also, we call it the power of incumbency. So nine, over 90% of members of Congress and Senate that are elected will continue to get reelected because mm -hmm. of name ID. Uh, but also too, it's the funding that comes with it in that position. And it's once, you know, a lot of people are kind of like Schmeagle, 
you know, with the ring, right? They don't want to let it go. It's, you know, that position of power, it can really kind of affect you sometimes. And so, again, you really have to have, I think, your head screwed on tight if you come up here because you're going to be, you know, offered a lot. And I think it's ensuring that you can translate that and remember what you're up here to do. What's the biggest leverage? Is it the people, the following, the, you know, for example, like Trump sends out a tweet, all of a sudden everyone thinks something differently or something's brought to attention. Is that the biggest leverage? Is it money? Is it someone behind the scenes in a dark room? I think it depends on the actual person, right? So like someone like myself, I'm a messenger. So mine would be a leveraged message, right? Um, With Trump, what we see is that people have basically on time and time again, the more that he's attacked, the more that they go after legally with the DOJ or whatever it might be, then the evidence comes out and people say this is BS because this guy keeps getting attacked and it's it is political right Right. um so i think that people are able to articulate that but then with some of these other members you see maybe they're on the intelligence community and they're voting for reauthorization of something called fisa which basically will allow for the unwarranted uh warrantless surveillance of americans which is unconstitutional but you see that you know they are sitting on certain committees so there might be special interests reaching out to them all of that is a factor and so that's why again if you get new people elected like we have the biggest turnover i think that has been seen for a while this next congress and so those are all open seats if you're a good person run for office because we need you is that is that due to just age and people retiring do you think people are kind of getting pushed out or they're starting to realize that they can't really hide i think i think they're realizing they can't hide and i say that because of x right so elon musk purchased formerly twitter now now known as x and that social media anomaly being able to go direct to the people instead of through controlled opposition and propaganda machines that exist within the media that whole concept in itself has changed people say these are the more the institutionalists you know we want to get back to the way things were well we're never going to get back there they're not for the populist movement that's increasingly forming mm-hmm. and they don't frankly like people like myself they don't like the matt gateses of the world or the trumps of the world because when you have people that are fighting back and not going to just fall in line and are willing to fight with you i think that that's when they're like we're just not going to deal with this yeah. we don't get paid enough to deal with this yeah, <laughs> absolutely so one thing i was having this conversation recently and i noticed that there's a big group of younger people uh not only it's normal but i would say all groups of people all different ethnicities all different backgrounds specifically minority groups that maybe were traditionally used to voting one way And I'm not saying that they're suddenly just going to switch to the other, but because of the openness of communication now through X, which is Twitter, socials, I feel like you could push more propaganda 20, 30 years ago. You can make things look like, you know, it was one way and it's not the other. And then now what you see is you can tell blatantly that this person's lying or that, yeah, the bill is called this, for example, the government's spending $3 trillion and calling it the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, it's, it's just hilarious to me. And you can hit back at it. You're absolutely correct. So right. I'll use the Washington Post piece, for example. Right. So I have my social media following, right? Mm-hmm. The Washington Post literally printed the most egregious crap I've ever heard. Like they said that I was a registered Democrat, yeah. that I lied about a home invasion, uh, that I fabricated my dad's incarceration record, and that I didn't grow up within the welfare system. All things that were provably false. Yeah. I went to social media and I actually posted documentation. And then after that happened, not only did I kill shot the article, they were forced to issue redactions, but it was dead and gone within like 48 hours. But the fact is, is had I not had social media, they would have been able to brand me as a fraud. And as a result of that, it probably would have hurt my reelection and or my political reputation. But that's the whole thing that they wanted to do. You have something like, again, you stated their Inflation Reduction Act, which actually only contributed to inflation or the fact that they're trying to say that we haven't been doing anything on border security when it's provable. You actually have receipts that we have been fighting for border security essentially since we took Congress. 
Right, absolutely. So it's going to be interesting. I think the next two terms and different elections, you're going to see a whole different change in you know what people are voting for and what they've traditionally voted for because accessibility to information. So I want want to ask about so so Trump endorsed you. What well, is twice? Twice. There you go. <laughs> so what has it been like uh, knowing him? What is he like behind closed doors? So Trump is probably like there's this reputation about him that the media tries to push, right? That sure. he's basically the boogeyman, but he's so opposite of that. So mm. I actually have a book at home of handwritten notes from Trump that he sends to my house, which oh, is nice. kind of funny because I'll go out to my po my you know mailbox and there's this massive like file folder that says like from the office of the president of the United States. So I know when the mailman drops it off, he's probably like, what the heck's in here, yeah. you know? But when I first met him and I went for my screening process, I mean, he kind of peppered me with questions and he realized I was telling the truth, confirmed it, and then he endorsed me. And then after I won, I was literally in the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A and he calls me. I get a phone call and it's from the opera. She goes, this is a call from the president of the United States. So I'm like, well, I'm glad I answered. And I'm like, yeah. Mr. President, how are you doing? He goes, Luna, you're a star. How are you doing? We're happy on your win. And I'm like rolling up the button at the Chick-fil-A window. Yeah. And this lady's like, here's your nuggets, you know? <laughs> but um, it wasn't until I actually got into office that I think I developed a more personal relationship with him and my dad was killed in a car accident the year of my election and he actually wrote me a letter um, later on during the birth of my son he called me I was able to travel with him on Trump Force One actually to Iowa and he kept joking he goes you know Luna if you have the baby on the plane you have to name him after me and so we're like Mr. President you know first like haha very funny and then we were like too serious and we're like yeah absolutely if I give birth on the plane I will name him after you so yeah. he's um he has dad energy if that makes sense okay. he you can tell that he cares about his kids like i've seen him pick up you know when someone has kids or not you see him pick them up and i've seen him pick up kids and he's the nicest guy and i only wish the media could see that because they try to create this reputation and branding about him and it's simply not the case i will tell you that you know you may have heard about the tragic murder of vanessa Guillen. she was i think it was at fort hood and she was murdered and he actually called her family to the white house a lot of people don't know this to assist there's been a number of cases where he does things not because he wants immediate attention he won't even say anything about it but he'll just do it because it's the right thing to do so he has a very personable relationship with most members of congress which is few and far between especially when you're in that position of power what makes him so polarizing to the media they, from the get-go, have taken things out of context and basically spun them. I think that, you know, having witnessed that firsthand with the Washington Post, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I was shocked that they could print that and that they're not legally liable because if I was a private citizen, I could sue them for defamation and I'd probably right. be a multimillionaire now. Yeah. Uh, but because I'm an elected official, you can literally print whatever you want and it doesn't necessarily have to be true. But we're seeing people come forward that admitted that they were wrong. Like you saw Snoop Dogg recently came out and said, you know, he's going to, he basically was like Trump comes a good, okay yeah. guy, but it's not just him. It's people in the media who have said, you know, it was wrong what we did. We were wrong about Biden, and this is why we're going to be supporting him moving yeah. into 2024. Absolutely. Well, cool. That's interesting. Well, let me ask you this. I know we, we briefly talked. Tell me about your own. You've heard about the UAPs, UFOs. Kind of <laughs> yeah. So what? Okay. Tell us about that. So I got men in blacked. I know a lot of people are going to be like, that's crazy. But ultimately, what happened is being a member of Oversight, we follow up with whistleblowers, and we also can conduct our own investigations. So Myself, Representative Burchett from Tennessee, and Representative Gates uh, were on a small codel to the panhandle because a whistleblower came forward from Eglin Air Force Base pilots to Representative Gates's office saying that the Air Force was essentially covering up UAP activity and we needed to look into it. So we coordinated the meeting. Uh, Pentagon tried to initially cancel the first one. We got it back on the books. We show up there. 
And we get in and the base commander tried to basically tell us that we didn't have authorized clearance to look into and speak to some of the witnesses of which you don't tell Congress that we don't have the authorized clearance, especially members of House Armed Services, Oversight and Judiciary. So we, I kind of had it out with the base commander, which is kind of funny because this guy really thought that he, he had it going on. And he actually, right. in the middle of our, um, our meeting, he took off on leave, which never happens with a member, a delegation going to military uh, base. But then also too, we had pretty sure people from the agency that were there as well. And so you really don't find that. I've worked at Herbert Field. I, you know, I worked in the military for a number of years. And so why would a intelligence agency need to be there on a meeting for whistleblowers? Mm -hmm. So that happened. I can tell you based on my investigations, not in a classified setting that I absolutely believe that there is um, things that are advanced technologies not of human origin and then we conducted the interview with david grush as you saw it was one of the most widely attended congressional hearings in u.s history the information that was brought forward was particularly alarming because you're hearing about people that have potentially been murdered and covering up this information and uh, it was very interesting so i advise everyone to watch it yeah was it so based off of what, and have you received classified information or just what they said? No, yeah, I've, we've, um, but I can't talk about yeah, of that. Of course yeah. you can't talk about it. So what did you, before you came to Congress, did you think aliens were real? So I wouldn't call them aliens. I really like what Grush calls them. He says that they're interdimensional beings and he's very specific so about that. what does that mean? I think it means that they're not necessarily a biological entity from another planet per se. Interesting. Um, what I will say is, you know, I share a Christian perspective on many things. And what's been interesting about this is the amount of stigma that existed previously to this cycle. But we have such a bipartisan push for transparency on this topic that they can't necessarily hide it. It has been interesting to see the levels of things that come up. Oh, there's no authorized clearance. You don't have the read in authority for this, this, that, and the other. Well, if Congress is writing the bills to fund these programs, yet we don't have authorized access and oversight into it, then that's not necessarily something that happens in a free country, right? So we continue to push. But, I mean, it's been very interesting to see some of the stuff that's come up. Was it before you learned? Did you did you think it was going to be completely different than what you learned? Was it no? I had I had some some suspicions leading up into it. You know, when I was stationed at Portland Air Guard Unit a number of years ago, I remember there was a incident that occurred, and the pilots kind of came back and asked one of them what what he thought it was, and he couldn't really talk about it. He, and he didn't want to because the stigma that the military has is that you're crazy, right? But we're seeing that with especially technology that we have even you know your iPhone for example you can record things and it's not necessarily going to be classified so you know I kind of knew about it I knew that that was a thing within the military and that people were kind of worried about talking about it but I think now especially with transparency uh, we hope that more people come forward you know the people that have come forward are credible we've done the background checks on them they're not you know tin hat yeah. wearing kooks right. but you know historically there's a lot there that's to uncover and I suggest that everyone look into it on their own Interesting. So to, to kind of wrap up at the end, what, what do you think, what are some of your main goals for the rest of your, your term and then in, in the future? Yeah. So, you know, when I had my son recently, right. I was told leading up into really having him and him being born that I couldn't vote during mm. that time period, which is interesting because when this book was written, 
women weren't in Congress. I don't think they thought women would run for office, but we obviously have younger people that are getting elected and um, women especially that are looking to have kids. So I'm hoping to set up something like maternity leave for members of Congress that doesn't currently exist. You know, we write the federal rules for federal agencies to have it, but it doesn't apply to us. But that's a number of things, and I think that that should change. So working on that, I'm working on something to potentially address the student loan issue. You know, I don't agree with student loan forgiveness because I had to pay my way through college. I don't think it's fair, but I do think that it's wrong that certain banks are basically increasing the interest to the point of people are paying sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars over what they initially took out. So if we can do something from a federal uh, legislation perspective to lower the student interest and keep it at 1%, I think that would help a lot of people. And so we're looking at that right now. And then finally, I'm obviously working very hard to help get the next president of the United States elected. So we're working on that too. Well, cool. Well, Anna, thank you so much for being on and I appreciate you guys and hope to see you guys for the next episode. Thank you.